Yeah, well, I only only drove that forklift um, before the season started. In Division three that year, it started November first, so I I got on at the end of August, and so I had a little graduation money there. I had saved up. I was I was $160 a month rent. So I, I had a, a, a bad car, but it was it was, it was durable. And uh, so I didn't have any, any any bills there. And so right as the season started, I stopped driving that forklift. But I'd go from like seven to two. Coach Painter, appreciate you taking time uh, out of your busy schedule to join myself and my co-host Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. Oh. <clears throat> You usually got a filler right there. Yeah, I, I was about to. I was about to bring in Zinger. <laughs> He's a Michigan fan, so Purdue's dominated Michigan most of the time through your career. So I think, uh, yeah. You know I what? don't know about that. I don't. I don't know if you got your. You guys got your stats right. On that one. <laughs> well, you were the 2019 National Coach of the Year, so I mean, you, you've done some pretty good stuff. Yeah, we we had a. It was one of those like when the voting goes in. A lot of times the voting goes in on like where you were, in, in like December. And if like you're like ten and one, and then you have a great year, like you're not the national coach of the year. But if you're six and five, <laughs> then all of a sudden you turn it around, and it helps get some more votes. So we were we weren't very good at one time, and then we ended up winning our league, and then coming a second away from going to the final four. But it, it was a fun group because we stayed with it, and we evolved, and kept getting better, and uh, almost got there, almost got to the final four. No doubt. Um, all right, so as I always say, you know, this is um, this is the Underdog Podcast, and as Kyle mentioned, we we like to touch on a lot of the, um, you know, maybe underdog moments or adversity that you maybe have faced, and I, I think it's a well known, well for a lot of people, but I didn't know that you at one point were a forklift driver, but we'll get to that here in a second. Um, but after your four year playing career at Purdue. Um, getting into coaching is, you know, not always the path that somebody wants to take or sometimes they know right away. Um, just curious, you know, when you were done, I know you were a basketball junkie growing up and, and obviously very smart player. Um, what was kind of the events or your path as to as you um, embarked on a, a career in coaching? And, and I think you started at, uh, was it Jefferson? Washington and Jefferson. Yeah, Washington, yeah. Washington and Jefferson. Yeah, and, you know, for me, I, I always wanted to – to, to be a good player and then you know you work at it and then you go into the the big 10 and you get a scholarship and you feel good about yourself and you think you're going to grow as a player and then you play against steve smith calvert cheney jim jackson greg graham you know kevin lynch the fab five and you realize you know you, you probably need to think about something besides being a professional basketball player real quick and so it's it's very humbling uh, sometimes the, the player is the last person to, to know. I think I had a pretty good understanding that, you know, I, I needed to think about what I was going to do, at, you know, after basketball. And then, but I always wanted to coach and I always liked the game. At times I liked talking about the game and thinking about the game more and I like working at the game. And uh, that's something for me that just kind of went right into working a lot of camps and uh, diving into it. So my first year I was at Washington Jefferson our assistant coach, Tom Ryder at Purdue, got the head coaching job there. So I was familiar with him and we went there and they were 11 and 10 the year before. And uh, we came a game away from going to the final four that next year. And uh, it was just a, a great experience. And so then, you know, obviously I haven't been back to the elite eight since the, the game you mentioned against Virginia. Um, but I just thought that was going to happen every year. You know, you get into your first year, but um, just tried to kind of move from there to each spot and trying to, to better myself, but I, I always liked the spots 
I was at, whether it was division three, division two, low major, you just don't make very much money. And so I was a volunteer my first year. I made $293 my second year. Um, I was at right at $10,000 my, my third year counting my camp money. And, and so then when I got to Eastern Illinois as a full-time assistant making $23,000, like I thought that was the haul. Like I thought, <laughs> whoa, I'm in business now. I can, I can buy me a car and this is cool. And but you just, you really live like you're in college when you start coaching. You know, that's, you know, you just kind of, if you can keep that mindset, what happens to a lot of guys who play overseas that come back who want to get into coaching, it's hard because they're 31, 32 years old. They've started their family and now they got to live like they're in college a little bit. And that's hard for you. That's hard for someone to transition who's been out of college for 10 years. So I think that's a difficult piece. And so I actually benefited in the coaching world because I wasn't that good of a player just to get in right away and just start to kind of pay my dues and, I got lucky to make the the jumps that I did. I got lucky to, to be around the people, um, especially Rick Samuels at Eastern Illinois and Bruce Weber at Southern Illinois. What kind of hours were you putting in as a volunteer and how were you balancing? And yeah. what shift were you working at driving a forklift? Yeah, well, I only, only drove that forklift um, before the season started. In okay. Division three that year, it started November 1st. So I, I got on at the end of August. And so I'd had a little graduation money there I had saved up. I was, I was $160 a month rent. So I, I had a, a, a bad car, but it was, it was, it was durable. And um, so I didn't have any, any, any bills there. And so right as the season started, I stopped driving that forklift, but I'd go from like seven to two driving the forklift and just at a Coca-Cola warehouse. And so like all the, the like, their, people are coming into the bays and, you know, they're, they're wrapping their, their Cokes. And so, I can go through it in detail, but like, if you think about like six packs of Coke, you think of two liters, you think of the bag in the box, you know, the syrup you see at fountains or whatever, that's called a bag in the box. And so like you have all that stuff and somebody comes in with orders, well, they wrap those orders in like a saran wrap on a pallet. Well, there's a lot of things that can go wrong there. I was the cleanup guy. So I'd go around and make sure all that wrap was up. I'd, I'd sweep. And I, I do different things. And so, but I, I was a low man on the totem pole and, uh, but it was good for me. It, it was good to get a little money in my pocket and, and get going in my coaching career. I think, I think coach painter might just become my favorite coach right there. <laughs> so we do industrial staffing. So if, if, if uh, we we're, we're placing out, we got about 4,000 people out to work and a lot of warehouse manufacturing forklift driving. So we're, we're very familiar with that. So like you, if, if anything ever happens, if you want a part-time job, I know you're probably looking for one. You can feel free, <laughs> feel free to jump in one of our warehouses. So no, just kidding. There you go. I wasn't yeah. very good at it, especially at the beginning. Like they didn't really teach me how to drive a forklift. And so like my first, where I had to get, you know, my forks into that pallet and then lift it. I didn't know I had to lift it. I just thought I had to raise it up some. I didn't know I had to lift my forks. And so my, all of a sudden, like one of my first things I had to do, things just went everywhere. And then the guys that were driving thought that was pretty cool, especially since I had a college degree. They thought that was really cool that you got a college degree and you don't know how to run a forklift. So, but um, I, I got better as, as time went on. I love it. I love it. when Coach O told us about that, it just tickled us because we were like, my goodness. Because right. we, we're trying to find, you know, forklift drivers. We're trying to work for warehouse workers. And we're like, <laughs> humble beginnings. Not only did in his coaching, like you said, I mean, think you like you you were making nothing then 290 bucks and then eventually like you said yeah. 23,000 that's what people don't realize obviously they see you as the coach of the year 
you know, multiple Big Ten uh, coaches of the year, three-time Big Ten championship if we have our stats right, 355 and 184. So obviously sustaining excellence and, and obviously making more than uh, 295 bucks um, now. But um, a lot of people look at the now and didn't understand, right, you know, right. Matt Painter in driving a forklift and working in night shifts and trying to volunteer coach. So uh, I think that the, the respect of the grind for is sure. something that people really don't know. Yeah. So um, any other unique stories on your process? No, before? I'm, I moved on the next year. You, you mentioned the $290 a month. Uh, I, I taught at a technical college the next year, helping people get their GED. And that was pretty cool. I, I like that. Like it was, I went in from eight to one every day um, in, a, in a, a small town in North Carolina, Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, but it, it, it was cool. It was, uh, I got a good experience of like scouting. I did some recruiting, not a lot. It was just, it, it was a little bit harder there, especially, you know, with your budget at a division three or division two school. So you get a little limited and, uh, but no, just kind of the, the mix of still really being in education, but also coaching college guys and then learning. And I was amazed how good a division two player was, you know, two years before that, you know, I was playing, you know, big 10 basketball. And so I was, I was like, golly, there's, there's players everywhere. And that's mm -hmm. the one thing that I've learned at division three, division two, low major, mid major, you know, if you're good, you're good. You know, you might not be a little bit, you know, as tall as somebody at a high level or as quick as somebody. At a high. They, they have probably a little better physical ability than you. But the best players at all those levels can play. Yeah. You know, they, they just can't. They might not be able to translate totally upward, but they still can play. They still could get in the game and, and be productive players. So I was always, always amazed um, at each stop how good guys were. What is one thing, and this is kind of off track, but what is – I know football, there's – in the NFL and college, you know, a guy's usually really good at one thing that really kind of separates him from the rest of the pack. When you look at basketball, not knowing the sport as well as you, but you talk about the, that there's definitely – there's a small gap between Division two and Division one for a lot of guys. Right. What is that kind of difference when you look at, you know, a guy who can play Division two versus being able to play Division one? Right. I think what jumps out probably more than anything is just your, your, your physical presence and ability. Um, but for me, it, it, it's really two things. It's your competitive spirit and your skill. You know, you, you, if you have the ability to, to make threes and especially get your shot off, you know, you're, if they take you away, you've created good space, you know, for the offense. So even though you might not be scoring, you're still given, you know, good space for everybody else to be able to play. And then somebody who just has that fight to them. Just think about any – if, if somebody's good enough and they got a great competitive spirit about them, man, they, they find their way. Yeah. They find, because people with a great competitive spirit like the game and they have a passion for the game that you got to be good at, you know, it's, it's the old adage, you know, it's effort and results. You just can't have a great effort. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're not a very good player. It just doesn't work. But if you're good enough and you got that competitive spirit, I think that's a big separator. Gotcha. <laughs> um, it's, it's, yeah. As far as just want to jump in, you know, looking at your track record, you know, transitioning to the head coach, obviously following Gene Cady is not an easy task, right? He's, he's one of the best that was out there and you've been there for so long and have had a great career so far. What is something, I think something for me, I'm always, you know, you've never arrived. You always are becoming is something I right. truly believe in. How do each year do you go out and, you know, try to keep pushing that, that uh, ball further down the court or get further in the tournament, win a national championship. What, what is your, you know, maybe some of your, your living disciplines or anything like that? Yeah. You know, 
when you grow up in the Big Ten, so this, this is my 17th year as a head coach. I was an assistant for a year and I played. So it's my 22nd year in the Big Ten. Um, know what's kind of the non-negotiables. Like know what every single year this is what we're going to do. And, and just, you know, Tony Dungy talks about, you know, being good at what we do. People think if you get to, you know, the AFC finals and get beat and don't get to a Super Bowl, like you got to change. Like what do we need to do to change to get there? In reality, you just need to be better at what you do. You got to be pretty good to get to the AFC finals. You know, you got to be a pretty good team to be second in the Big Ten. And so now you've got second. You know, we've gotten second a lot. Like you said how many times we got first, but we've gotten second four or five times. And people are like, well, what can you do to get first? It's like, well, there's 14 teams in your league. You know, you don't have a, you know, it's not the National League Central. You know, you don't have five teams in your division. Like, even though it's difficult, there's 162 teams, but those are the people you got to get around. You got to get around 13 other teams. So you're doing some really good things. Keep doing those things and get better. See, sometimes it gets lost. You just go and work on things that maybe you struggled at a little bit. And then what you're good at diminishes. Like keep improving on those things you're good at too. And then just kind of see where you're at and some of those other things. Sometimes it's a personnel-based thing. Sometimes it can be schematic. So you got to like really dive in there. I try to let certain things evolve as a season goes because people make improvements. People get better. And like, I just don't want to say, okay, here's, here's who's going to start, you know, in August. You know, we have a long season, man. Like we, we start playing games in November, but we get to start officially practicing at the end of September. But right as school starts, we still get four hours a week with our guys basketball. So allow some things to kind of evolve and try to like really help your team that way. And, and then you can kind of see because now some guys that really played well for you the year before, like don't just think like now they're going to do the same thing the next year, even though they could and percentages probably say they're going to like, now you'll have somebody really take off and you might have somebody slip. And with that, like, you know, don't strengthen your team because you're rewarding somebody for playing well the previous season. I think you've seen like Bill Belichick really do an unbelievable job of that. The Patriots, he pays people for what they're getting ready to do. You know, he doesn't pay people for what they've already done. And a lot of time in professional sports that happens, but it's still the selection of players and the thought process behind it that goes into college. And so I really try to, just kind of pump the brakes there and let things organically happen. Now you're going to have to get to once games start, you're going to have to draw a hard line because you want them to be the separators. Like you want competitive. My son says it to me every year, like who's going to start. I say the same answer to him, you know, whoever earns it, whoever gets it, you know, I have to be fair to the people on my team, but I have to be fair to the people that I recruited. And I told him that. So I've really tried to harp on that. And I've really tried to harp on not overselling things in, in recruiting. Because I think the oversell in recruiting just makes for bad chemistry. You know, like some coach said, hey, you're going to be our cornerback or you're going to be our right fielder. And then all of a sudden they get there and Dave Parker shows up. And like, no, I bet you Dave Parker is going to be the right fielder. And uh, that's just the way it is. So, like, you just – the role they want to be in, everybody wants an expectation. Everybody wants – this is where I'm going to be. Everybody wants that. You wanted it. I wanted it. But if you don't become one of our top two or three scorers, I'm not going to use you that way. Like nobody like runs plays for their seventh man. I mean, nobody. But yet in recruiting three years before, we told him this is how we're going to use you. Then he gets there and he's like, you're not using me this way. Well, I'm not using you this way because you've been beat out. And you're our seventh man and you average 14 minutes a game. 
Like, you don't run plays for guys like that. But if you become our second best scorer, we're definitely going to run plays for you. So I've just tried to kind of curtail some things. Um, you know, our assistant said, if I just keep being that honest, we'll have nobody on our team. So. <laughs> but <laughs> I like, I like hey, why's Purdue got a bunch of intramural players? <laughs> coach is crazy, and he's just telling them the 100% truth. But it's really a, a, a dynamic that coaches, we got to do a better job of. Because we're in a, you know, we have the one-time transfer. You know, you have a lot of, we have such a microwave culture in basketball. Like, they want it right away. And we all know from coaching and watching, it's one of the hardest things to do is to go from high school to college and, and make an impact and play right away. No different than watching the NBA playoffs. Like, you get in the NBA playoffs, and the further they go, you know, it's, it's a whole bunch of old dudes, man, a whole bunch yeah. of experience, a whole bunch of guys that know how to play. You know, you don't see a lot of young guys in the playoffs. Yeah, you see P.J. Yeah. Tucker and all those guys, right? The cool yes, guys yes. That, that get it done. Um, we our, our podcast is, is broadcasted on uh, something called Chatterbox Sports, one of the largest high school platforms in Cincinnati. We're based in Cincinnati. There's a lot of ball players around here, basketball players. I know uh, getting more involved into that and seeing some of the top top players in the top, I guess, 200. we got a slew of them around here. And something I, we've been curious about, we talked to football coaches in there, and Calvin's really good about asking this question. So if Coach Painter or anyone on your staff is coming in to say Cincinnati here, what 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 is a message when you sit down with a mom and a dad? Do you say, hey, I want your son to come play for me in uh, at Purdue here? What, what What is a message or what are you looking for? What do you say? Yeah, well, it's it's a life decision at Purdue. You know, our education is, uh, you know, very powerful. We have our people are great. Um, we have it's a state school but we have a handful of really elite majors. And so, but we're also a state school. So like you can get, you know, people into school. It just depends on what major you're applying to, but Purdue has a really special network. And so you're not just, you know, it's not just a basketball decision. You know, it's a life decision. It's an academic decision. It's a basketball decision. Purdue has the most big 10 championships of any school in the big 10. And so like right away, they'll, they'll look at you like you got horns coming out of your head because it's like Michigan and Ohio State and Illinois and Michigan State and Indiana. We got great traditional teams in our league. Purdue's had great success through the years. You know, we've been to the NCAA tournament 12 out of the last 14 years. And so everybody does what when they're a basketball player? They grow up watching March Madness. And that's what I always tell them. Like, you know, judge us on what we've done. You know, don't judge people on what they say. Don't judge me on what I'm saying. Here's what we've done. You know, we've been to the tournament 12 out of 14 years. Here's where we're placing our players, our student athletes, I should say, after they're done playing professional basketball, after they're done in college, here's where they're going into the workforce. And so we have something unique is that I played at Purdue, my alma mater. I played for Gene Cady. He was there 25 years. So now between two guys, you know, we've been had two head coaches in 42 years. So we have an alumni base within our basketball program that we know a lot of times you get, you know, a coach and six years later, you get another coach. And then eight years later, you get another coach. And then four years later, and it just goes. And then the people that played in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and the nineties have a huge disconnect because the people they know are gone. Well, for, for us, like we don't have that disconnect, even though we're not a hundred percent because nobody's a hundred percent in that area. So we've done a really good job of building up that rapport with our alum, with our former basketball players. And so I think we really have, you know, that basketball family, you know, at Purdue. And so I think it's, it's for me, it's an easy sell. Obviously I'm biased, 
but from your future and your life and going forward, like, you know, we spend a lot of time. I know coach Katie's um, 85 years old, living down in Myrtle beach. I talked to him three or four times a week um, staying close contact with him. Like we'll like, we'll get on that phone and do whatever we can for a former player, you know, to try to help them out, especially right as they're getting started and they're done with basketball. I know you guys, I mean, when you think of Purdue basketball, like (laughs) you always know you're one of those teams like, you know, at some point you're going to run into, I kind of equate that to like the Patriots. The Patriots may go 11 and six and you're like, oh, they're having an okay year. But you know, when the playoff comes, you got to, you've got to get through them. And that's what I always equate Purdue to. It's like, man, when you get in the tournament, like if you're running Purdue, like you better Bring your A game. And I think that's a credit to what you just said of just the longevity and the consistency of what you guys have built over over the years, which a lot of schools cannot say that. You know, I can't know I don't know how many coaches Miami's had over the last twenty years, but it's the truth of the matter. So I, I definitely agree with that hundred percent, Coach. Yeah, uh, thank you. Like our Coach Katie was simple. Like some of the things that he used to do, like I used to like laugh at and like then all of a sudden like I got into coaching and I like, oh okay. I, I see what I see what he's uh talk about but he had three rules when I got to Purdue he said be on time act right and do your best now I know you you feel like you're putting your five-year-old on the school bus for the first time in kindergarten with those things but just like just think about that if you got the ability to be a good player and you're a big 10 player and you're always on time and you always give your best effort and you act like you have some sense just think about how you take off like you just take off like your your basketball career takes off your, your, your personal life takes off. Like you're not fighting so many people. I always say that about like team competition, like Purdue can't beat Purdue. Like let Indiana beat Purdue. Let Michigan state beat Purdue. Like don't like have 24 turnovers. Like don't shoot 40% from the free throw line. Like make your free throws, take care of the ball, give yourself a chance, like be solid. And so many guys want to do everything, you know, and, and really it's the simplicity of, playing to your strengths and staying away from your weaknesses. But if you can do those things in life, those three simple things, like good things are going to happen for you. Coach, would you say you're, like you said, sometimes your coaches say you're too transparent, you're too almost too truthful. Would you say like setting those expectations? Cause thinking about once again, watching you guys play, at least in my opinion, not putting, uh, you know, not slandering any other programs, but your program seems to be, they play defense, they box out, they're on the floor. You know, you don't see a lot of guys talking back. You see the bench up cheering. It seems like they, you truly have a consistent team that's committed to the things that maybe aren't as sexy in, in your sport. Do right. you think that truth in, in your recruiting and finding those guys, identifying those guys, and then also developing them and, and setting that tone because there is that continuity from Coach Katie to Coach Painter? Is that, right. is that you know, what, what, what is there anything else that goes into that? I would think the blueprint for us through Coach Katie has really helped us because we've seen what's worked. And now just trying to, like I said earlier, just be better at what we do and just try to take that a step up. You know, Purdue sometimes doesn't, you know, it's a, like you think about like when you're talking to young people and you start talking about something blue collar and you start talking about discipline, all of a sudden like they look at it. I always try to talk to our guys. They look at that kind of funny when in reality you should embrace that. Somebody mature embraces that. But when you're young, you don't. Like I didn't embrace that when I was younger. I didn't look at it that way. But the more discipline you have, the more fun you have. And that's what the message I try to send with those guys and just say, hey, man, if you got everything, if you got all your boxes checked and you've done what you're supposed to do, 
man, we're going to have a lot of fun. But if you're late places or you don't take care of your academics or, you know, you're disrespectful to people, like you're just constantly going to be in, we're going to hold you accountable. Like, but you should hold yourself account, accountable. Like you're, you walk in with your parents, you know, on, on the visit. And then when things go on on campus, like you got to handle your own business, but we're going to, we're going to be there and hold you accountable. We're going to be there to help you also. But your next visit after college, nobody walks in with you. Like if you're going to talk to the San Antonio Spurs, like your agent doesn't go in there with you. Like you, your parents don't go in there with you. But if you're going to try to, you know, start somewhere and, you know, try to get on with a Fortune 500 company, you're walking in by yourself. And a lot of that, we try to diffuse all that. You know, we, we try to make sure that they, you know, are, are we're not going to enable them is the best way to put it. It's like, we're going to help you. We're going to monitor you, but we're not going to enable you. No one's doing what, you know, your work for you. you got to do your own work. And the players that are able to do those things and move forward have really helped us. But we're trying to find the ones that are already that way. Like we don't have the magic wand, but if you do a better job, recruiting gets oversold. It's not as much recruiting as it is evaluating and evaluating the people around them. Like the people around them are the ones that shaped them. They're the ones that shaped somebody. And now you look at some physical ability, but if they can't play in structure or they can't be on time or they can't, you know, now it's just, you know, I want to have fun, you know, for selfish reasons, I want to have fun, you know, we get stuck in an airport. Like I want to be around a bunch of people. I want to be around, you know, guys that get it, guys that understand. And so like we really work towards that in recruiting and finding functional players, guys that fit, but guys that, you know, understand they're coming to Purdue to get an education and they, and they understand the big picture. Yeah. I um, remember you recruiting a kid out of Middletown, Vincent Edwards, right? A couple of years yes. back. I remember watching yes. him play in high school and I thought he was a really good player, but what you guys did, because he, he had the DNA, right? I could see team player. Yeah. I don't know about his family, but you could just watch how he operated on the court at the high school level. But I didn't know how he would translate to the next level, to be honest, not knowing basketball as well. And what you guys did with him, you know, I mean, what I remember seeing in Middletown Midi and then where he was at Purdue, I'm like, wow, you know, that yeah. that dude, you know, really, really expanded his game. So, you know, yeah, he was I, a great player. Yeah. He was somebody that just how versatile he was. He could shoot, he could mm -hmm. drive, he could post, he could do a lot of things. He played with a lot of other good guys. And so that sometimes that was difficult because Dakota Mathias, who's from Alida, Ohio, was a really good player. Carson Edwards, Caleb Swanigan, Isaac Haas, Ryan Klein. So it, sometimes when you have those great teams together, you need the guys to just make it all work. You know, Robbie Hummel was the guy for us who played the four before Vince. He made it work and kind of completed that puzzle. And Vince was kind of the same way, man. He really did a lot of good things on both ends of the court and made it work. Both those guys um, were very successful. Actually, they have the identical records in their career. Yeah. Nice. Speaking of Robbie Hummel, we, we want to know, you know, I think something in our, in our pre-work, um, anytime, anytime you have adversity, like a player like Robbie Hummel goes down, I think right. it was a torn ACL, you know, that shows, in my opinion, the character of your team. What, what does, you know, what did that moment or any big adversity, not just, we're, we've been talking about your career, but let's go to some of your team, your players. What, what, how do your team respond? What's the R factor as we call it? Well, that was, you know, that was tough for us because it happened back-to-back -back seasons. It ended one of his seasons, and then the next year he tore his ACL again to start the season, first day of practice. Um, so, you know, we, we were able to keep pushing on. The year he tore his ACL, we still won the league. We still got to the Sweet 16. 
we thought with that group we could have got further, but it affected our seed. Um, when that happened, we ran into Duke, who's um, they, they won the national championship that year um, in the Sweet 16. Um, and then the next year when it started, you know, we still had each one more and Jawan Johnson. So just trying to have those three guys together, we think we can do it again and get ourselves back to that position and then hopefully do better. Um, we lose him and we still get second in the league. We still win one game in the NCAA tournament. But um, then he comes back and he was in that next year when those other two guys are gone. And we, I think we get fifth in the league, but we get in the NCAA tournament. We win a game. He's, he comes back as a – he's first team All-Big Ten in that year. And so gets drafted and makes the NBA, plays overseas. So it was great for him there. You know, you always have when you have those special teams and something happens, you know, like kind of the Kenyon Martin story, you know, at Cincinnati. You know, he ends up being the number one pick. They're still good, but, like, you know, they could have won it all with him. And that's just, you know, could we have done that? I, you know, I don't know. I think we were a Final Four caliber team. Um, you, you like just to kind of replay that, but that's part of sports. There's other people out there that's had guys that get hurt and their season gets affected. And I always say that in coaching, when you get affected, you always play the what if game, but when somebody else gets affected and you beat them, you never sit in that locker room and say, ah, oh, we got the win because he was hurt. Now you, you, you take those wins. That's, yeah. just, that's just the way it is in sports. And, um, but no, we um, tried not to make excuses and just tried to, to stay the course no matter injuries, foul trouble, um, you know, j- just stay the course. It's um, it, it long season. Sometimes those losses too can help you win more down the road. You got to try to find the silver lining there. Or they say you can always learn a lesson from a loss, but you don't need to lose two to, to get it figured out. And so like we've always just tried to do that and not make excuses and, and just stay the course and trust the process. Yeah. And we actually had Bob Huggins on. He talked about, Kenyon Martin and it's tough you know you hear him talk about just like watching you talking about Robbie Hummel I mean it's you you love your guys right those are your players and and you're so excited and you got a special group but you know in sports and we know that being on teams as well I mean you just you know things happen you know it's life too like you said in business or or in life and how do you overcome that but it it doesn't make it any easier like you said it's that's a tough. Oh, yeah. That's a. That's a, what keep you up at night. You could tell between you and Bob. It's like, oh man, what? What if he was healthy? <laughs> but you know, it is sports. I mean, that's how it happens. So. That's how the cookie crumbles. Yep. <clears throat> rapid fire. Yeah. Let's get to. Uh, let's get to rapid. Um. All right. So we're gonna put. You, Did you, really. you put him on a hot spot. Or man. Not? Well, let me start off. I got one. I got one here. You know, we we appreciate Coach Jack Owens' love and honor. My Miami guy coming off a of Coach Painter's uh, coaching tree here. So. One thing I learned about Coach O, my man does not swear. Does does Coach oh, Painter doesn't. does Coach Painter swear? I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm not proud. I, I, Trust me, I, I do I'm too, better, man. I do too. But so I don't, don't think worry. I'm probably the the, the right. Um, I have a bad uh, personality behavior trait. Is that like I'm the I'm the last person in the room to get mad, but then once I do get mad, I'm the last person to get over it. <laughs> Like a 12 year old, 10, 10, 11, 12 year old. Like, I just, I hate it about myself. But yeah, it's, um, I, I, I do swear. I recruited Coach Owen. So I've known him, you know, obviously for a long time. And then I coached him at Eastern Illinois. And then I left him for a senior year and I went to Southern Illinois at the time. I've heard him cuss a couple of times. Okay. But there we still right. like, say yes. like he's like a zero okay. policy. But it's rare. Like he's, he was really mad. He was really mad. I, I won't tell the stories or, yeah, because I don't know him verbatim, but like, no, he he does not cuss. He does not cuss. Yeah, so I 
first time go to practice and the administration's like, you're just not going to believe this because I grew up football <laughs> coaches are swearing left and right. This guy just doesn't swear. And I said, really? Okay, well, we'll go see. Well, all right, whatever. He you was always that. he was always at the barbershop when I called him too. <laughs> I feel like. So I just, there was no cell phones in. Coach O's, he's, he's not uh, that young. That's where he, 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 no ex- cell phone. he accepted one of his coaching positions while he was at the barbershop. I remember him saying that as oh, well. That's right. So he yeah. is always at the barbershop. Yeah. There you go. Now there we know. Hey, we know. We have to figure out where he gets his haircut in Oxford. We'll have to figure that one out. What, um, this one just popped up in the middle of the conversation as a Michigan fan. Do you have any f- cool, I guess, Fab Five stories? Um, when I, when I got to Purdue, Michigan was loaded. I mean, loaded. So Sean Higgins, Ramil Robinson, Louisville, Terry Mills, Mike Griffin, Demetrius Caleb, uh, Eric, uh, Eric Riley. So they, I just reeled off six out of seven guys that were NBA players. So that's who they have when we get there. And then my junior year, that's the fab five. So I'm two years older than the fab five. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, we won, we won five times in a row against Michigan and we beat the fab five the first time we played them. And then they beat us the last three times. And then the year after I left, they won. Glenn Robinson hit a shot at the buzzer um, to beat him at their place. So we snapped that three-game losing streak. Or it might have got four games. Now, they got four games. They came into Purdue in 94 and won to make it four in a row. And then they, I was gone, and that was my first year um, coaching. But, no, just they what people didn't give them credit for is that they were really good in the half court. Like Jawan Howard could pass, Chris Weber could pass, Jalen Rose could pass. Like all those guys had size and they could pass. So you would get against them. Anytime you have good big guys, and obviously they're, you know, dominant big guys, but they could pass the basketball. And so like they were just a tough matchup. We had Glenn Robinson um, my senior year. So those times we split with him my junior year, Glenn Robinson sat out that year. So, uh, but Glenn Robinson got beat three times in a row by, he faced him four times and won that last one. So, but no, they were just they, – they did not win the, the two years they got runner-up national champs. A lot of people don't realize this. They did not win the Big Ten either one of those years. Yeah. And so, But they were the toughest to go against. You know, they, they were – but you got to understand, like, you got – Steve Smith had just left Michigan State's team, but you still had – Indiana's teams were so good. Jim Jackson was there one of those years um, at Ohio State. Um, so Jim Jackson's Ohio State teams, Calvert Cheney's Indiana teams, the Fab Five. I mean, it was, yes, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a tough deal. <laughs> yeah. It was a tough deal. You know, who I feel I played with Sean McVay, and then I wish I feel like I'm talking like your information recall on names like that. That's like Sean McVay, dude. You, it's crazy. Well, I heard you, you got you got. He's you're right up there. I'm gonna tell if I ever see Sean. Say he, I finally met a guy that has information recall like you. He uh, is. Is this true? You learn to read um, by reading sports articles as a kid. Yeah, I read the sports page. Sports page. Yes. Yeah. So I learned to read. That's how I learned to read. That is Sean. Four or five year old learned it. You and Sean. Mc, I'm telling you, Sean McVay was the same way. He, he could spit out every sports name and fact and stat i'm like dude this is crazy now you know like he when you talk to him just down at a wedding and he's going da 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 i'm like he's different for a reason different you know so that's a good thing to have so um this is a fun one then we can, I, this will be my last one i don't know if you have another one um so you were in the you're in the movie you're a movie star you're in the movie blue chips <laughs> um and you coached the uh the coast squad yeah what, what 
what was it like being a fictitious coach? And was there any any NBA players on your team? Kind of like there was Kobe. I mean, not Kobe, no, I was, was a, I was a player. Oh, you were a player. a player. Oh yeah, I guess so you were that age. Yeah, I graduated from. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, Purdue. I'm aging you, coach. Summer. I'm sorry. You're fine. You're fine. It was cool. Like we went over there. You know, the the high school was 20 minutes from campus. We went over there three, four days in a row, and you'd play and play pickup, and then just kind of get accustomed to everything and. And then the last day, you you know, it's they bring the fans in and they're there and you play pickup. And George Raveling was our coach. Awesome. And, uh, wow. Yeah, we had a good team. Uh, Rodney Rogers. Um, I think Alan Houston's on our team. Maybe not. But anyways, it, it, it was pretty cool just playing in the game and kind of getting out there. Then at the end of the game, they get the you know the, the cameras that were the rollers. Yeah. You just couldn't like turn and run and transition and change ends of the court without stopping and looking. You don't, you don't want to run into a camera. <laughs> Stop for it. It's kind of weird because, you you know, you're so used to, like, the ball moves, and then all of a sudden someone gets a rebound or somebody turns the ball over. You're used to running and then just kind of looking down your shoulder because, you know, you got to pick up the ball whether you're on offense or defense. But now <laughs> you need to pick up that camera so you, before you do anything. But no, it was, it was fun. It was just kind of a neat deal. And, you know, the, the summer before that, Matt Nover – and I were on a Big Ten team, um, you know, that summer before then, that next summer, you know, he's, you know, in, a star in that movie along with Penny Hardaway and Shaq. So um, it, it was it was just kind of – it was kind of cool for our area, yeah. you know, because it was uh, all the, the the guys that were playing and all the the actors and stuff like that were around our campus and, and stuff. So. I, I heard Shaq didn't even know Penny was, uh, was, was, was going to be an NBA player when he first showed up to, for the filming. He was like – I didn't know who this guy was. We started playing, and I was like, "Wait, who is this guy?" And they were like, oh, "That's Penny Hardaway." And he was like, "I need him on the Magic," and that's kind of how the yeah. story shook down. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. So, well, one of my last questions is: so this guy is gonna be transitioning into back into coaching. So eventually, here in Man, the near future, maybe you lost not this your mind. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not this, high school, high yeah, school, high, high school, high school in Dayton, oh, Ohio. Hey, you still lost your mind. <laughs> Yeah, the high school parents. I don't know why he wants to do this. But no, I'm just joking. Congratulations. But, uh, thank you. Thank so you. This is our hundredth episode, so it's a big one for us. So we appreciate once again. It's an honor to have you on. What would be something as as he? I don't think it's gonna be this season, obviously, but he's working to progress in the next season. What is something as uh, I don't I won't even say young, Coach Blackman? I mean, you're getting older, buddy. I'll be forty this year. So he's hitting his uh, over the hill birthday here. What what any advice for uh, Coach Blackman here? Man. And- in coaching, I, I think a lot of times you like you want to make guys like feel good about themselves. Like I'm big into that. I'm big into they gotta feel good about themselves, but they also have to have an edge to them, and they gotta be able to do their job. So I think just being able to communicate in terms of what they need, and that's something for me that you know I got to do a good job of coaching my coaches. Like you know we, we have to understand how we're teaching something, what we're doing. So now those guys, they got to know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, they got to feel good about themselves, but also have that edge. Like you look at football, like, you know, how many times do you hear in football, like, do your job, just do your job. Like if you played football, you're like, man, I am tired of hearing somebody tell me to do your job. But if you do your job and you have discipline and you don't have penalties, man, you, you're, you're a productive, you know, productive guy. And so that's, to me, more than anything like in basketball, not beating yourself, but it's the communication as a coach. 
You have to be able to communicate with players. You have to be able to tell them, but don't over say things. Don't over speak things like be simple. Like, here's what you need to do. Well, if I do this and I do this, am I going to play? Like, don't, don't get into those. Like that's not the way it is. Like, Hey, we're going to do what's best for our football program. Period. Period. Dean Smith used to always say like from the last game to the first game, we do everything in our power to help you. And from the first game to the last games, we do everything in our power to help us. And it's still in competitive sports. I know it's simple. I know it's profound, but it's the right way. We oversay things to guys, especially in today's world, you know, because everything's out there. If you're simple with them and you build a good relationship and you're honest, but we put ourselves in positions because we want them to be successful too. Here's where I see you. Here's where I see you. And you got to be careful with that as a coach. You know, you have to like, Talk to them about what they need to do. You need to talk to them about their job, but don't get yourself out there too much. And now that expectation of just playing hard, doing your job, keeping things simple really, really helps them. But they want those, they want those upfront agreements. They want, you know, I'm going to shoot the ball 25 times. I'm going to do this. I'm going to play this amount of minutes. We ain't doing that. We're, 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 this is what we're going to earn. So I, I think that that's that, that transparency really helps you as a coach. And then the other thing is, you know, are, are you, you going to be the head coach, assistant? Assistant. Assistant. Knowing what he wants. Knowing what he or she wants. Like, what, like whatever. Like, what, what do you want? Like, what do you want? What's your mission statement? How do you want me to teach the, the receivers? Whatever. Whatever it might be. And just knowing. Because sometimes guys get out there, especially new guys or whatever, they don't know. I've had new assistants. I'm like, hey, man, why aren't you talking? I'm not totally sure what you want. Well, that's not their fault. That's my fault. Right. I got to do a better job. I got two new guys on staff and one of them used to work with me 10 years ago. I'm not the same coach I was 10 years ago. Now there's a lot of things that are similar, but there's still differences. And I got to do a good job of making sure, you know, we have a new guy that that's, I've never worked with before that we're all on the same page and they understand that. And so, but if a, sometimes head coaches don't do that, we're, we're, we're messed up. Sometimes they don't do a good job of that. That's so if, if your guy doesn't do that, <laughs> I mean, finding that out. So now it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm sending his message at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Love awesome. that. Great answer. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Usually you ask this question. I'll ask this is the last question. We promise. So before you answer this, you got to agree to help us make this happen. Okay. See, I agree. Yeah. See, look, he, we, we, it's a trust. It's a trust. He thing trusts, here. He trusts, he trusts us because of coach. Oh, it's always a yeah, coach. Oh. <laughs> coach. Oh, that's how we got to you. So who is one person we should have on the UDP. Oh, Gene Cady. I love it. Without question. Okay. He'd do it. He'd okay. Do it. Yeah. He, um, when you said Myrtle beach, I just got back from there. So on done Sunday. It down there. So my in-laws have a place down there. I should have said, if we would have had this about a week ago, I could have, uh, Hey, uh, coach Katie, come down to, uh, the little diner here. We'll, we'll, we'll post up and do a podcast. Like it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, um, we would love to, that'd be a, a incredible honor. Um, yeah, he um, and go back in the archives. They won a triple overtime game at Miami back in like 83, 82, something in there. And then we got sandblasted. His, his uh, first game of his last year, Miami of Ohio hit their first eight threes against us. I was there. I was, 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 was going to bring it up, but yep, he got. No, no bring it up. Get uh, him going. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I remember that because we had the uh, we had a really good team. I think that was when the Pollitz twins were were younger. We had some we had some dudes like Doug Penno, yeah, they, 
that's when we went to the tourney, won the MAC, and then lost to Oregon out in uh, that's a 14 seed. Almost beat them. Yeah, he can't come through the screen. You're all right. He's, he's <laughs> if you guys were face to face, I'd tell you not to do it. But it you're not face to face. He can't come through the screen. I was like, after you said your sister's from Miami, I was like, okay, I'm not going to bring up that loss because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I couldn't even remember exactly when that was, but yeah, I knew I, I was there because I was like. You know, the student section, I got there late and I was in the top rafters. I remember he was going nuts. He wore his jacket <laughs> and uh, got teed up. In and, November of 2004 was the game. Yep. Yeah. I just graduated. Landry had I remember 30 that. points and 15 rebounds. I remember Carl Landry had a really good game. He had like 30 points, 15 rebounds, something in there. But I think maybe I'm wrong on eight for eight, but boy, it felt like eight for eight. Penno. Like yeah. I think I'm right. Doug Pino right. used to light me up in high school. Well, uh, <laughs> it's been an honor. Um, thank you so much. You were fantastic. For our 100th episode, it's been a blessing for us to get two years. Every week we've released an episode for you to wrap it up on, on 100 and our season two of the Underdog Podcast. Coach, can't, can't thank you enough. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks uh, for having me on. All right, Coach. Thank you. Good luck this season. Yep, good luck. All right. Thank, thank you. you. All right. We'll see you.